Bazinga. God damn it. <laughs> Why would you do that? <laughs> Hello, welcome back to the Waffle Press Movie Retrospective. We're here talking the Batman film series. We're talking Christopher Nolan's monumental, probably underappreciated even still in terms of like reception compared to his follow-ups. Uh, Batman Begins, the film that kickstarted the Dark Knight trilogy. In fact, it's so good, I would argue, that Matt and I are here to talk about it today again. Yes. We already did this episode. <laughs> Uh, we already it's, did this. It's definitely not because uh, there were audio issues that we're only able to salvage the last quarter of the episode, last half of the episode, uh, which is very good. And full disclosure, those will probably be added to the end of this episode, or if I can't make that work on Patreon. Yeah, I don't the care. Future Diego editing this, uh, you will you will know which one to to do that with. So it doesn't That's matter how ham fisted it is future diego just put it on <laughs> do the bat do the fucking batman wipe from the 60s tv show um yeah uh, well it, i definitely didn't have an audio fuck up um man audio we've been doing pretty good with with audio for a while and then this batman retrospective shit just started hitting the fan yeah what the uh, fuck i don't know so. i really i really have no idea um but you know what happened hmm. the world got too tense from political ambiguity uh the, the the hype for star wars episode 9 and avengers endgame have just like amassed into this bubble of universal frustration and it's causing us to 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 fuck up minimal admittedly kind of unimportant things in our daily lives yeah when i think about everything happening in my current life Avengers Endgame and Star Wars 9 definitely take the cake for stress. Yeah, that's what I was saying. You know, you, you fucker. Just, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, apologies. You fucking piece of shit. And, I, and you're saying the other no, recording but... I was in the bad mood. Yeah. You're trying to get that magic back, motherfucker. I, I I gotta feed into it, you know. I gotta be like James Cameron. I gotta I gotta get everyone in the right mood, so I have to ruin their lives. We haven't been that antagonistic during this because we're like we show up to record. And we're like, hey, guess what, fucker? I agree with you. <laughs> yeah, it, it's weird. Uh, even I think this movie actually, you know what? This will be fun. So um, just really quick, let's why don't we just give a rundown of our initial thoughts? Like, take thirty seconds to a minute each. Mm -hmm. uh, giving our, our initial thoughts on Batman Begins. Uh, okay. Why don't you go ahead. You go first. Okay, I'll go first. Because <laughs> I, I don't want to. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Um, I called it monumental, and I still agree with that. I think in the in the world of all these reboot origins that got more darker and realistic, I think Batman Begins is still the best of them, outside of maybe one or two. Uh, it's it's emotional storytelling. I think it's the most fun Christopher Nolan film out of out of all the ones he's made. Uh, it knows the right amount of tongue in cheek. It knows when to be funny. Knows when to be uh, serious. The emotional moments hit harder than a lot of other stuff in his other films. And he still can't really write write women. But Katie Holmes gets a bad rap in this. And I still think it's my favorite of the Nolan Bat trilogy. 
even if it's not nearly, nearly the most complex. And that's okay. And I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Do you really? Well, you know... um, you know that was a really that was, those are some really concise points, Diego. It's almost like you've had you have an hour of audio that you've listened to that you knew to boil down <laughs> to about thirty seconds. <laughs> but hey, the fact that I could boil it down to thirty seconds means there's hope yet for me. Yeah, it also means that maybe I'm a little long winded in some of my points I made <laughs> on this podcast. Um, no, this is a very uh, this I was uh, I didn't know what to think walking in this because this was always kind of like the forgotten um nolan film because it's like you know the dark knight trilogy it's the one film not called dark knight something um so it gets a little forgotten it's it's very different than the other two um in in visual style i would say um like the the second one really leans into like michael mann heat territory and then the third one's like the hurt locker (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and oh a Catherine bigelow batman would fucking own as long as you got a new writer I yeah. don't, i'm not a fan of the, the current one but sorry go ahead um anyway <laughs> sorry I, I have a lot of Catherine bigelow honestly thoughts. women women doing batman would probably be very interesting i would like to see that <laughs> but um this one i don't know this one's a lot different this one still feels like it's kind of got one foot in like the oh we're a comic book film, but it's also trying to be uh, something a little different. Um, I don't know. I like it. I know it's it's weird. We're it's weird because we're now that we're recording this after we've done the other two, um, <laughs> because we've already like made the point over and over again about how uh, there it's it's difficult to talk about Nolan on the internet. And it's difficult to talk about this trilogy in particular on the internet because it's kind of become a thing with a lot of people. Yeah. And uh, it's, I don't know, this is like the most weighty. And also because after doing these three films, I I started, when we started this trilogy, I was all like reserved and had my guard up a lot, which you might hear in the salvaged audio at the very end. But, um... Having gone through it, I now no longer give a shit what other people think. (laughs) Like, I I, I went through, like, years of people being like, you know, only fools like these films are like, hey, did you realize that this film's actually about the war on terror? And stuff like that. And, like, trying to make people feel bad about it. And now I'm like, fuck off. (laughs) You are actually the shallow one you prick Um, i would actually agree with that too i think those are not entirely invalid readings no they aren't invalid bad faith they are not invalid it's done in bad faith and it's very much like a guy just masturbating his own ego (laughs) like i don't like guys are like hey did you know it's like the guy always excited to say john lennon beat his wife (laughs) you know yeah um it's it's you know it's like, yeah, you you made a point. Like, good for you. Like, yeah. It's like, all right, what do you want me to do with that? You know, like, like there's uh, something weird about being very proud of that. You know, like, wouldn't we all want to live in a world where Imagine wasn't written by a wife beater? 
<laughs> like, isn't that the yeah. better world? Like, even if you hate Imagine, it would still be better if it was written by a guy who didn't beat his wife. <laughs> yeah, like, a part of it is also just like, what do you want us to do with that information? Like, yeah. do you want to have a conversation about it? Or do you just want to be like, that guy. Yeah, are you no. trying to say something about how we idolize rock stars or how maybe we put certain directors up on a pedestal that's not good? Or do you want to just be like, hey, I'm the smartest guy in the room. <laughs> Look at me. Um, which is, I don't know. I, I basically, I, having gone through this whole trilogy, I've come out the other end, just I, I now have a better understanding of the type of critic I want to be and the type of critic I don't want to be. <laughs> And I don't want to give it away just yet. Even though we are re-recording, I, if, if we can avoid it, I would really like to not tell people what we thought about the follow-ups. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, well, I'm just saying that, you know, certain criticisms I do not like of yeah, yeah, of course, the trilogy. Of course. Not to say they aren't there. I'm definitely not saying that. I'm definitely not saying there are no flaws in this. I'm just saying that there's a lot of bad faith ego-driven criticisms of this and Nolan's films. And that's, it's bad even if you hate these movies because it detracts from actual flaws they have and actual problems in them. Um, I don't know, I just hate, I just hate smart asses. <laughs> I hate people who pride themselves on being contrarians, you know? Yeah. I don't mind contrarians, I just hate people who are, like, happy about it. <laughs> you know? I just want there to be Less bad faith argument. I, yeah. I, I want... That's why I like doing these. I like having conversations with you and other people about, like, art. This is coming from a guy who liked Alien vs. Predator Requiem. <laughs> which I will stress, I felt a deep sense of personal shame for liking the, that movie. But I still liked it. <laughs> yeah. Which which is, is fine. And I, I honestly... Even though I, I do not feel that same way, I don't think you should feel shame or anyone else should feel shame for liking or disliking something like that. Anything that puts me in the contrarian bubble, I do not care for. I don't like him. I don't like him, Diego. <laughs> I, don't, I, it's, I just It's just like every guy who's like the first person in high school to be like, you know, like, you know, he's like proud he's an atheist or something. Oh, God. Yeah. Like, I went to an all-Catholic school, mm -hmm. so it got really, like, obnoxious mm -hmm. at, at a certain point. When you went to a Catholic school, and there were people being like, well, I don't really, you know. Mm -hmm. It's like, motherfucker. Well, there's like, I always, <laughs> like I always say there's two types of atheists, and of course I say that because I want to feel like I'm on the good side. <laughs> but who knows? I mean, in high school I was obnoxious, but in different ways. Uh, but there's the one who's like, who just wants to understand the idea of irreligion a little more. And then there's the one who wants to call religious people morons. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be the latter. <laughs> and there's people who walk away from these movies and go like, hey, this movie kind of has a problematic reflection of the Bush era in them. <laughs> and then there are people who want to call other people dumbasses for liking the movie. And so... You know, rather be the former than the latter. Speaking of liking this movie and uh, early educational years, when was the first time you watched Batman Begins? Um, I did not see this in theaters. Um, I, I, I must have seen it like the year after it came out on like television, I think. 
Um, I did not go to see it in theaters because I, I, I don't know. I was still young. I had, I think I was like 12 when this came out. Um, and that was young enough where I was like, I didn't understand that it was a re I didn't know what reboots were. And so I thought it was somehow within the continuity of the first, um, Tim Burton Batman, which like, I, even after I saw it, I still thought that. <laughs> <laughs> so like i don't know how i made those mental gymnastics but um i did i i've always had like a knee-jerk reaction against prequels not counting the star wars prequels but just like when the movie gets to like the you know when like tremors tremors four <laughs> like i love the tremors films as a kid but once they got the four i'm like i'm out because prequels to me always signal that they're out of ideas and that, I thought this was a prequel, and I was like, I'm not interested, and I kind of avoided it. And I saw it, and I was like, yeah, it was fine. It was good. I didn't, like, I wasn't, like, head over heels in love with it. Because um, I also, I, I think I hadn't really become a comic book nerd yet, so I wasn't, like, one of those guys who's like, man, they've never done Batman right. <laughs> Which I think is the type of person who really loved this movie. Uh, you're absolutely 100% correct because <laughs> that was that was me. Uh, obviously, my stance has changed over the years, and I, I brought this up with the Tim Burton ones too. Uh, I, I love and appreciate most of the ones we've already talked about, even if they're not great films. But there was a point in time where I just wasn't drawn to the live action movies that way. Mm -hmm. I, uh, maybe the exception of like Batman Forever. Uh, I was I was never crazy about him. I was like, nah, those aren't, those aren't Batman. And so when Batman Begins came out, I was like, ah, whatever. But then, for whatever reason, I really wanted to watch it. And so uh, a group of friends and I went to go to, like, a, a drive-in theater over uh, in, in uh, Southern California because they still have a couple of those. And they were showing Adam Sandler's The Longest Yard on one side <laughs> of the screen. And the other side was Batman Begins. And everyone else wanted to watch uh, The Longest Yard. And I was like, no, I don't want to watch that one yet. I want to watch Batman Begins. No one else did, so I was like, "Fuck it, I watch it myself." So this is this is the first movie ever I also ever saw by myself, uh, and I fell head over heels in love with it. Part of it was probably just because I was like, "Oh, it's so realistic and oh, it's so dark and cool." But now that I'm older, I'm like, "Wow, this I think this is like a genuinely well-made film, mm -hmm. like really emotional, like an emotional core to like the journey of of Bruce Wayne and." becoming Batman and why he cares about Gotham and his relationship to his parents. Well, I was going to say parents, but really just dad, mm -hmm. which is yeah. a Nolan problem. His mom has maybe two lines in this movie. <laughs> yeah. And so not not putting that aside, because that is a completely valid criticism that I will also throw at the film. Uh, I still found myself being really touched by by those aspects of the film and their relationship with Alfred, uh, who's just who just loves and cares for Bruce Wayne so much in this. Um, played by Michael Caine, who is also gut-bustingly hilarious with incredibly dry one-liners. I hope you're not a member of the Fire Brigade. What is the point of all those push-ups if you can't even lift a bloody log? So everyone who says no one does, isn't, like, funny, uh, I, I implore them to check out these films again, at least the Alfred lines, because... This dude's, like, the best. Yeah, I, but, I, I love this version of Alfred. It, but is, like, it's hard to imagine Nolan telling jokes. You gotta admit that. Oh, no. It's, like, I, I don't I don't see it. Uh, 
it's it's even weird to watch him at like an MTV Music Award concert, much like this one right here. <laughs> But he does do that weird thing. There's actually that weird thing with him that I would actually say is very similar to George Lucas. Where the humor feels like almost siloed from the rest of the film. You know, like he's like, all right, here's going to be a funny line. And then it doesn't really feel like it's part of anything else that's happening. Um, George Lucas is probably a bigger offender at this than Nolan, but... Because like you definitely don't walk away from these films going like, hey, remember the humor? But maybe I'm also talking. We're we all been our minds have all been diseased by the MCU and their constant jokes coming at you. Hey, but the ones that work, like the ones that are more straight comedy, those those I want to go to bat for a couple of those. But generally, yes, I agree with that. Also, mm-hmm. yeah. No, I, I think you would disagree just like on principle, but I, I probably would. I'm just looking for a fight. Um, <laughs> I don't think you're going to get one today. Yeah, probably not because we agree on the movie. Uh, one thing that caught me off guard is like um, rewatching this because I, I, I don't think I've watched it in a few years um, that like to know how long I haven't watched it since Man of Steel came out. Ooh. I watched it before that and. I forgot oh how much Man of Steel was just aping from Batman Begins. Like, whenever anyone it's, was... It's, like, direct. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's... I thought, because everyone... That was a complaint that was getting thrown around a lot about Man of Steel. And uh, I was like, eh, you know, in tone. I thought everyone was talking about more the tone of the film. And even that I kind of disagreed with. But then I rewatched this. I'm like, oh, no. The, Man of Steel very much tried to just do Batman Begins. And I'm sure there's well, someone out there... I'm sure there's someone out there saying that Zack Snyder was playing fourth dimensional brilliant chess where he's actually deconstructing the no- the Nolan formula of Batman Begins. Um, he is not, but, you know, they tried. Well, I mean, written by David Goyer. That one's yeah. straight up screenwriting credit just to David Goyer also. Because uh, Nolan and his brother, I think, had a hand in all of the screenplays. Yes. Dark Knight, and then took over for the last two. You can tell. Well, no, they did. They, Goyer worked on the first draft of Dark Knight. Um, oh, okay, that's right. That's right. That's right. Um, but he, Goyer wrote Man of Steel. Uh, the Nolans produced Man of Steel. Hmm. Uh, like it's and Nolan also picked Snyder, which is well, that's odd, it's odd to think to about. Me. It's odd <laughs> I, to think I about. Not, I cannot imagine what it's like hearing those two talk about like the same story let alone any stories together i guess i'm I'm on the bet they barely talk and not, i'm not even saying like in like a, that they hate each other way it's just that directors with big egos like they never want to talk to each other <laughs> this is a weird thing about them um but i don't know but no like structurally this it, it tries to do that but in like batman begins um you know what's weird about david they, as when, Goyer? He, he's always like I've heard him say, like, I'm not a structure guy. I'm more of, like, the individual scene guy. And his structure is clearly his greatest strength in most of these movies. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, completely. uh, Like, even the structure of of Man of Steel, which I I won't get too much into, because we also both feel very similarly about that film. mm -hmm. I think the overall, like, outline of that film is not a bad one. There's a very good, there's very good ideas in what they were trying to do in Man of Steel. 
Yeah, I, I admire that, and that's all I'll say for that. But for, like, Batman Begins, uh, like, the cross-cutting between past and present with the memories, uh, everything's, like, predicated the f- by either the dialogue flow is really or good. just heightened emotion. The flow is really good. Um, and I honestly, I was not expecting that as much coming back. I don't know why. I was, like, kind of expecting, because I think... Um, I'm not a giant fan of the prestige, um, which I might be the only person on earth to say that (laughs) because everyone, that's like the one Nolan film everyone seems to love. Uh, and I, I always feel like that's like a, like the flow of that film is like super clunky at times and it's always bugged me. And here it was like really fluid and it kind of caught me off guard. Um, like everything kind of like it's, it's very direct, but everything leads into, each other and it was just it was i was very appreciative and this must have been kind of like i don't know it must have been radical in like 2005 i mean like even though i was i was as a kid uh it it blew my mind and Mm. honestly rewatching it because i i pretty much rewatch this like once every year at least i really really love this movie uh it still feels like like we're heading towards Avengers Endgame. Like the day of re-recording this, I'm going to Avengers Endgame in like a couple hours after. I know. Uh, and rewatching some of those, even the early MCU, I'm like, oh my god! Like the Batman Begins. It's like, it it's so good. <laughs> like it's it's like, how do we, how did I ever think some of those other ones like compared? Not even like MCU, just like blockbusters in general. Yeah. You know? I mean, like apart from like the obvious ones, like Pacific Rim, Mad Max Fury Road. That do action much, much better than Nolan ever does. Yes. Um, and, you know, like, nine out of ten things ain't bad. Although, um, although I will say, I think Batman Begins does the action the best of I would agree with three. that. Um, there's like, because this is where he's trying to do the, like, chaotic fighting, the sloppy fighting, that, and he matches it with editing that is choppy and sloppy, you know? Like... Mm-hmm. Uh, and it can be off-putting. It's it is off-putting in the sequels, but here I really enjoyed it. Um, I don't know why. Like honestly, that was like one of those things where, like, when they were getting up to that first prison fight, I was kind of like, "Up oh, here it comes. I'm gonna start hating it." And then I didn't. I was like, "Oh, that worked." Um, and there's like you know that. The s- devil. Yeah, there's that. S- no, well, I didn't like that. <laughs> oh, oh no, I like that line. There. All right, I gotta say. I don't think I get into any of the episodes. The dialogue in these movies, I'm not a fan of. In <laughs> retrospect, um, there is just so much. Like every every line is like loaded in some way, and that can be. It's really a depending on the day thing because I was um, I just for re-recording this, I decided instead of rewatching Batman Begins, I was going to rewatch the Suspiria remake, um, which I've only recently seen and I've really enjoyed. And that's a movie where, like, every line is, like, loaded. <laughs> and I could see how, like, someone would find that off-putting. And I didn't there, but I find it off-putting here. Um, I don't know. It's just, like, you know. No, I've, I've been rewatching some, not even, like, the lesser MCU stuff, because if you, if you follow me on Twitter or even know me, like, in real life, you know I'm actually a big fan of most of those. But, like, how sometimes there's scenes where just, like, there's nothing... It's, it's about nothing. It's just like these people have chemistry, which is it's just fine sometimes. But like to watch a real movie with like meat on its bones, I was like, oh my god! It's it's good is... to watch a movie Woo! about something instead of just setting things up. 
Because that's all the MCU movies usually do. No, no, there, there's some through lines. They, that, but that no, have but that problem for the, sure. The first brick that gets laid down is about setting things up. That's before theme. That's before story. That's before characters. All those movies are about is setting some, setting up another movie. That's what the first thing they think about, and that's why those movies are always so lopsided. Like even when they have good theming and good characters, it's just always off balance. And here it's like they decided, like, hey. Let's let's take Batman a little seriously. And I will counter with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 and I'll leave it at that. But you're absolutely right. They totally tried to take this seriously, but again, Nolan does come into play like he's having a, he's clearly having a good time like with all this. I'm sure it must have been like a nightmare to shoot, but <laughs> that's just like for any of these big movies. Mm-hmm. Um but it it's like a genuinely good time watching this and I really love the uh the world of Gotham in this because it's just on the edge of like it could kind of take place before the 2000s it could it's kind of futuristic well, that's the, the that's, stuff that's one thing is that this what's so odd about this film is that it really leans into like that post 9-11 gritty imagery where everything's more grounded everything's more realistic and we're given like we're almost overly explained a lot of Batman's abilities and powers and gadgets in um, hindsight, yeah, maybe. And I'm just, it's just, that's what they leaned into. And at the time, I think it was more refreshing than maybe it would be now. Um, like, I definitely wouldn't want to see this again. But I, I, for what it is, cool. Oh, God, what fucking point was I making? Oh, all right. The look of it is very realistic, but it does not, in every other way, it doesn't take place on planet Earth at all. Um, it's a nebulous time period. There's no outside, like there's even the, the present shows up in the third one, kind of like he's mentioned. And even he, it's like not reflective of like a real America. And this is like an America where it's like, Rachel is talking about like how the great depression never ended in Gotham. And you're like the great depression from 70 fucking years ago. Like they, it's... (laughs) And it's it's also filled like it, it boils things down to like cops and robbers too, but it's also a film about the war on terror. <laughs> and it's it's a very odd mix that creates a movie that I think is very unique and understandably frustrating for some. Um it's also something that it was like I don't think anyone who watched it emulated it correctly. You no, know? that's that's one hundred percent true. Because uh, again, like, like I said, entirely. Nolan, like I think the worry is everyone walks away from these and going like, uh, like the problem is Nolan takes Batman too seriously. If you start taking Batman seriously, it opens up a lot of deep questions that maybe we don't want to go into with superheroes. Um, when you really think about it, you know, it's Batman is a rogue million billionaire using military technology on civilians, <laughs> like, and that's really fucked up. But but Nolan really is playing out the fact that this isn't the real world, that it's not meant to be. And he, it's, it's grounded in a way that reflects our world, but it's not the real world at all. And it's not meant to be. It's not meant to be possible. And I, I, I find that interesting. Yeah, Nolan's making a fantasy trilogy with this, basically. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think people still have fully caught on to that yeah i think people still look at this as like 
oh well that's the grounded realistic version and and that's like the surface level that they mm-hmm. that they approach these with and and even even on that level i i could still like appreciate the movie but i think that severely undercuts like what nolan's trying to play with here yeah and i mean of course you you see like the bad interpretations of this with like everything from the amazing spider-man to, to i don't know some other fucking thing to the amazing spider-man and, the, and let us not the forget spider-man's the worst one let's not forget the amazing spider-man <laughs> no they only got two of those so you only have to mention it twice i mean honestly the other one in this is man of steel yeah i mean i and i honestly i don't like man of steel but i wouldn't say it's as bad as amazing spider-man no man but, of steel is totally consistent you watch amazing spider-man and it's like watching peter parker from 57 different universes each one of them like alternating between scenes. Yeah. It's kind of incredible, but not in a fun way. Not yeah. not in the Batman and Robin way, where you should watch it at least once. Mm. And I guess it's also uh, uh, Fantastic Four, the reboot, kind of tried to do this. Kind of, yeah, that that one had a whole bunch of other problems. That one has to, to a lot. To be fair, I guess, I guess Amazing Spider-Man also did have the kind of studio thing too. Mm. So I, I got to give that one kind of a softball. There's no excuse for the second one, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, trying to be nice. Do we really have to give Amazing Spider-Man a pass when it canceled Spider-Man 4? Uh, no, I'm not giving it a pass. Okay. I'm saying I'm throwing it a softball. I, I, I don't think so. It'll still miss. I'd aim at it. It'll still land square in the face. But... I'd throw it a softball, but I'd aim at its fucking head. How do we get there? I don't even know. How do you know my name? The world is too small for someone like Bruce Wayne to disappear. Your parents' death was not your fault. My parents deserve justice. I cannot let that pass. If you make yourself more than just a man, then you become something else entirely. Which is a legend, Mr. Wayne. Razal Ghul. Um, or as I should say, I'm sorry, Mr. Descartes. Is that what his name was? Yeah, Mr. Mr. Ducard. Yeah. Ducard, all right. Yeah, uh, Ducard. Ducard. Yeah. Uh, or am, am I saying that right, Mr. Raz Al Ghul? Yeah. Um, uh, so really quick, I also think that we should talk about this. Will definitely be talked about later. Hmm. But um, some of the Eastern mysticism stuff, or like all the Eastern mysticism stuff. Yeah. Not only did it not age well, wasn't great at the start. Um. If you can't overlook that, that's also one of the things that's like, yeah, totally cool. Get it. You're not wrong. Yeah, it's one of those, so. uh, the whole League of Shadows thing is one of the, it's an element that I get is not the best. And it's just, it's steeped in stuff that we've outgrown as a society. <laughs> yeah. And um, even by even by 2005. But again, it was the first time these movies had ever really tapped into it. Although I would say um, Tim Burton's Batman does a pretty good, like, you know, he's got that room full of armor that, that basically tells where he's been training. And they, they don't, like, call attention to it. And I think that's a really nice way of doing it without maybe making the first 40 minutes of your movie about it. Mm-hmm. But, hey, um, but you know what? I, I love this stuff, even even the problematic elements of it, which I admit. <laughs> no, it's cool. I mean, honestly, it's interesting to see him. It's Honestly, it, it's so hard to talk about still because it's like I like watching – Bruce Wayne turned himself into Batman, basically. I think that's really interesting to see, finally. 
Um, but so many people, there's so many people who watch this fucking movie and they walk away from it being like, yeah, if you push yourself to the limit, you can do anything. Yeah. And it's like, this isn't real. Yeah. <laughs> it's a fucking movie, dude. Like, um, and we get the set. I mean, honestly, one thing I, I did not remember that I really appreciate is there's a lot of setup in the beginning for what will come at the end. And I, I, I just blame my memory on this because I just, I was surprised because I don't remember like the whole, the flower that he's got to carry up the mountain also being the herb that will be used for the fear toxin later. Um, mm-hmm. Which is just, I, I just like that that's early in the movie. Like for some reason, I forgot that. Uh, I also wanted to appreciate Wally Fister's cinematography in this. Uh, I think it gets better throughout each film, but here I think it gets to play with uh, a really different landscapes, not only for like stuff that we've seen in any Batman film thus far, uh, also what came after. Yeah. Like the, the, the ice mountains of wherever the league of shadows was, was hiding out in, um, each each act almost has like a different kind of setting where like the middle you see a lot more of the narrows before going back to the finale but then you start seeing like the upper class echelons of gotham uh it's it's really really stunning imagery here and i just like oh my god it looks it looks so good on on blu-ray i i was uh i'm very happy that that i that i own all of these and i can revisit them at any time and it's definitely as a more they're just nice to look at too there's a more diverse look than the other two um Third one gets a little more more diverse by introducing a giant hole, <laughs> which uh, yeah, hey, <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, it, it is different. Hey, do you think there's a it's reason different. why the hole that Bruce Wayne gets stuck in in The Dark Knight Rises looks a lot like the Batcave? I wonder if there's like a recurring theme or idea that no one's exploring. I think there. there's a reason for that. Yeah, I think there's a reason. Um... <laughs> Yeah, it's on the nose, but it's like, I think it's an idea worth exploring. Yeah, and hey. this first one, uh, again, I, I thought it was really touching, even, again, with the mother not being a character. <laughs> uh, the, just a line, like, I know you were saying you're not a fan of the dialogue in these movies, but I, I'm really impressed by the line uh, when da- when his dad says, why do we fall? And so we can learn to pick ourselves up. Like that's touching shit. Man. I guess it's, 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 I've been so destroyed by the internet and just everyone <laughs> on things constantly. And, but it's like, I, I'm personally annoyed when people talk in metaphors all the time. Okay. It's just, a, it's a pet peeve of mine. I've gotten in films. Um, but I guess you can't really avoid it. You know, it's going to happen mm-hmm. eventually. Like, even if you try to be subtle about it, like, the subtleness of it becomes apparent, and you get annoyed. And I guess I, it's on me. It's on me. Um, I need to I need to fucking calm down. Well, are you, are you, are you calm now? No. <laughs> I think, to, to bring it back to the action really quick, too, the action in the, the League of Shadows hideout when Bruce Wayne decides not to kill the innocent farmer. And then kill the, about 20 other people. <laughs> No, here, here's the thing. Yes, he does. De- people die in that sequence. And yeah. that dude who was sentenced to death also probably does just end up dying. Listen, Virgin. Um, Batman just kills people. <laughs> Wait, no, I'm not even going to go there. You remember, uh, remember <laughs> when Zack Snyder said Batman should be raped in prison? Oh, wow. That, that went places. Um, Don't you dare cut it, you fucking coward. 
the action in the League of Shadows hideout is is fine. And then there's a point where Bruce Wayne's fighting Ken Watanabe, and it just becomes <laughs> awful for like five seconds. Just falls and, on him. Yeah, and it, it's really bad. And you know what? He gets he got to star in Inception, so Nolan made it up to him, I think. But uh, at least box office wise. Um, but the the action approach that Batman gets to take for the rest of the film, at least when he's like first dealing with like street criminals and thugs, uh, I really love that it's framed as like almost like a monster movie attack, because that's how the criminals see Batman. We're finally seeing their perspective for the first time. Oh yeah, no, that's and uh, it's like horrifying. Yeah, no, that's what makes it work. It's really honestly, I like it. Um, one thing I don't. One thing I don't understand is that the Batman voice in this movie is much better than in later films. Like, he only occasionally goes into, like, the, you know, where were the other drugs? And <laughs> um, here he's, he kind of just has moments where he's like, Carmine Falcone. He's trying to... Blah, blah. And it, I don't know why he changed that. You know what I, th- I think it just is? I think that was, like, his standard Bat voice for a little bit. Because even when he's fighting Raz al Ghul... He goes like, how about this? Right? Or whatever. Yeah, but that's like, like he gets that voice when he's getting intense, but then in the next movie, he'll just be like standing in a room. And I'll just be like, one man in the entire mob. And... No, but um, he's in his Bat costume a lot more in, in the sequels. Well, at least I, the I, first one. I thought maybe it was a thing where like, as he becomes more Batman, he starts sounding more animal-like. But then, like, by the third movie, like, he, he's still sounding like a crazy person when he's, like, supposedly <laughs> gone through a transformation. So, uh, I don't know. I, don't, I mean, personally, I know the people clown on the voice. Uh, it's It still works for me, even though, like, yeah, it's totally ridiculous. Yeah. But I, I, I really liked it. That's, you know, it makes the movie fun in a way. Well, one thing, one thing about this movie is we then get the introduction of Jonathan Crane as the Scarecrow. Yeah. Um, at Arkham Asylum, and uh, he's really good in this, Cillian Murphy. Um, is it Killian or Cillian? I have no idea. I think it's Killian. Sure. he's like Gaelic or whatever. Sibian Murphy. <laughs> no. Uh, Mr. Murphy, anyways. Dr. Murphy. He's Dr. Murphy. Dr. No. Murphy. <laughs> Dr. Mur- Dr. Crane. Murphy Brown is very no. good as Dr. Jonathan Crane, <laughs> yeah. the Scarecrow. Uh, th- that dude's such a good actor because, like, look at his performance here where he's just, like, totally unnerving and creepy. And then, like, in 28 Days Later where he just, like, feels such empathy for this dude who's like, what the fuck just happened? They <laughs> lost everything I ever knew in the middle of this zombie outbreak. It's like, oh, my God, this dude can do anything. What the hell? Where's he been? Uh, he was in Dunkirk like two years oh, ago. Oh yeah, he was in Dunkirk. Peaky, yeah, he's doing Peaky Blinders. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, which I have not seen. But everyone I've heard keeps very telling good me. About. Everyone keeps telling me to watch it. Yeah, yeah, me too. And I'm like, I'll get there. It's not even like malicious. I just like I, I just haven't. Yeah. So, apologies. Um, but no, he, he's he's great. And of course, the the first recurring Batman villain in film history. It's nice to see him keep coming back. I think this movie might have a bit of a problem. I don't know, something about the League of Shadows being the final villain of this film kind of puts me in a bad place. Why Why is that? I don't know. Because you, you had brought this up last time and I hadn't, I had never thought of that. I just think that, like, they're good, they're, it, they're, it's almost like that whole sequence is a prologue for the real movie, right? 
And then we we get this good we get this really nice chunk in the middle where Batman's in town. He's he's starting to fight crime. He's taking down members of the mob. And then at, then suddenly the League of Shadows come rolling back in at the end, right? Right. Um, and it, it I don't know just it to me it they be, kind of become like a black hole to the story because I like the building. I like Batman like slowly becoming a hero, and I like that he's fighting crime in this one. And then I just don't like that. Then that by the end he's already fighting terrorists, <laughs> like something like. Oh, okay. If it had just been like Scarecrow at the end, like facing off with him and like maybe doing a similar plot, I think this might have worked better. And maybe like Ra's al Ghul comes back for like the he's the villain, primary villain of Dark Knight Rises. Uh, but you know, then you would get people complaining, being like, "What was that whole beginning about?" Uh, but again, they they made this movie not knowing that this would be the start of a trilogy. So I'm saying that with like hindsight 2020. Um, yeah. So yeah. might as well might as well conclude something you set up in your own fucking movie. Mm-hmm. I just I just feel like Scarecrow kind of doesn't get his due in any of these movies. It's nice to see him no. in everyone, but it, there's never like like it's almost a joke, really. It's almost like no one's playing. I, he might be playing a joke on the audience where the Scarecrow finally goes full Scarecrow at the end. And he shows up and he's like, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And then he's, I, does he say I'm here to help? Yeah. Like, I'm and then he gets, help. he gets a taser to the face and yeah. just rides off into the shadows and doesn't come back. Yeah, no, it, it, it is a bummer. But like, is, I, I really like this look of the scarecrow too, with like his tattered mask with his like business suit. Like that um, just looks awesome to me. Yeah, it's cool. It's uh, fine. That's like on the verge of comic booky and like real life horror. I don't know. That really like tickles my funny bone. I think I think I'm a little put off because like everyone, every villain in these fucking movies wears some sort of suit at some point. Imagine Bane with a, just a business suit. Yeah, he's got that big jacket though. Yeah, but it's not a business suit. Yeah, but it looks like he's got one underneath. Maybe. No, it looks like he's surviving like on Mount Everest. Yeah, I guess. Not a business suit. What's up with Bane? How's Bane? Uh, Bane's sneaking around Gotham. Like, I get he's in the sewers, but he's, like, appearing in, like, apartment buildings. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. The devil and he shall appear. <laughs> I don't know. You can't. How does Bane? Bane. Bane. Direct communicated. Bane. Gang of psychopaths. <laughs> Not my diagnosis. <laughs> hey, yeah. Uh, hey. I don't know. Whatever. These movies are are ridiculous, and we'll we'll get into all of that nonsense. Marshal Wayne, are you coming back for long, sir? As long as it takes to show the people of Gotham their city doesn't belong to the criminals and the corrupt. Bruce, Rachel, you're gone a long time. I know. Things are worse than ever down here. What chance does Gotham have when the good people do nothing? No makes a liable suit for advanced infantry. Kevlar law utility harness, gas-powered magnetic grapple gun. What's that? You want the tumbler? Oh, you wouldn't be interested in that. I spent a lot of time being scared for you. I heard you were back. But the man I loved. The man who vanished never came back. He's here. Who? The Batman. We're brushing over a lot of the themes of this movie. 
We uh, are. Uh, the, the theme, each one of these has well, one primary it's like, theme. It's like so like in your face about what it's doing. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, like, it's about confronting fear. Confronting like, that's fear. That's the baseline theme. Batman becoming a symbol. You know, he's a symbol. He's not, which is something that honestly, not to spoil things, but I kind of have to now. But like Batman being a symbol, it put it puts you in this place because Batman's only a symbol to the audience in this film. He's not a symbol. You know, I mean, he's a symbol to the people living in Gotham in the film world. He's not really a symbol to the audience because we all know he's Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. So uh, the idea of him becoming a symbol really isn't complete until the Dark Knight Rises. And I won't say what the Dark Knight Rises does, but um, I think it it's it's a little weird here because at the end of the day, it's like he's not a symbol; he's a billionaire, <laughs> and it's a little hard to get around. No, it, it totally is. It reminds me of like the problem I have with Aquaman, and I think we we've also talked about this on, on the podcast as well. Um, I I really love that movie. It's it's such a great time and um, gorgeous, stunning. Blu-ray release. Uh, go check it out if you haven't. But then I'm, part of me is always when I'm watching it like, but the Divine Right of Kings is like not a thing yeah. I want to see anymore. But the movie's not even trying to tackle that. So it's like I have to put that aside. Or like Crazy Rich Asians, a movie I genuinely like too. Uh, not as good as Aquaman, mm-hmm. of course, but what is. Um, but then it, that movie is also about like being accepted into like the status quo even though she's uh, the main character lead is from America, mm-hmm. even though she is uh, Chinese. Well, I don't right? think it's she's wrong nationality. I don't. I don't think it's wrong to view a movie through a lens of like examining what goes unexamined in the film. I think that's where most. No, 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 I'm, I think that's honestly what we should focus on more. Um, I'm not saying to to ignore that. I'm not saying it's not an invalid criticism. But I'm also I'm I'm I am also saying that I think if you just want to enjoy something mm. for the sake of enjoyment, that's okay too. But if we're gonna occupy like spaces like these where we have discussions about them, we do have to talk. I guess, about but those issues. I'm I'm, not, I'm definitely not saying to just put it off. But here's I, the thing: I went that. I went into this movie with my guard up. I went into all of these movies with my guard up, um, not expecting to like them on rewatch, honestly, and. Viewing them through what appears to be unexamined actually improved them for me. And I think that, I, you know, it's one of those things where I, lo- I love the movie Red Dawn. But Red Dawn is like a fucking, like, conservative, crazy nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, uh, it's a movie that, like, very explicitly says that we can't have gun registration because... The Russians, if they invade, will hunt down every legal gun owner in the United States using the registration. Um, so, like, that's like insane. <laughs> and but it's it's a thing, you know. Like, it, it, but it, I, these people are so fucking stupid. I'm sorry. I know. I know. Hey. But like, it, it it honestly makes the movie more interesting for me. Even like when I don't agree with the film's politics, I like watching the politics kind of play out. You know. Mm-hmm. And here, even when you look at it through the unexamined lens of this is like, there's a lot of post, there's a lot of Bush era stuff in this movie. No, there, there totally and is. And I think oh that looking at it through that lens actually improves the movie 
and it doesn't detract from it. Uh, I think now's a good time to bring up Lucius Fox because he kind of plays into the whole... Great idea, Diego. <laughs> uh... <laughs> he plays into the whole uh, political aspect with him arming a, a rich billionaire who wants to go beat up dudes in the middle of the night. Um, yeah, because one element of this film is that uh, they decided to explain how Batman gets all his technology. Basically, how did he build the Batcave? They decide to go into how he's got all the gadgets, what the Batmobile even is, which is something that goes unexplained in the film. And they could have just stopped it being like, oh, Lucius Fox makes it, you know? Yeah. Um, he could have just been the Q of this universe. We don't have to ask why everything looks like some sort of like H.R. Giger nightmare. <laughs> we just need a guy who makes it. Um, but instead they decided, no, no, we're going to explicitly say that this is military R&D. This is all, like, surplus military, uh, stuff he's using. Um, which is where, you know, some people are like, eh, you know, <laughs> with this movie, which is totally understandable. Um, because, uh... This is something I call, there's probably a better term for it, but I always call it trickle-down militarism. Which is that when military technology starts entering our day-to-day -day lives. And it's actually sometimes promoted as a plus. It really shouldn't be. Where it's like, you know, we put so much money into the military, so then we want to show off like, oh, hey, do you know that gadget that you use every day was developed by the military? Blah, 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 blah. blah. And then you're like, yeah, how much is just being used to bomb people? <laughs> um, but uh, it becomes a very integral part of this trilogy, the trickle-down militarism stuff, that he's very much using military equipment on American streets to fight crime. Which is something that has actually started to happen in real life. Local police departments are getting, like, military-grade technology. Which is bad. <laughs> because we just have so much of it. Yeah, it's, it's, we're not in a great place. And honestly, the, it didn't start with Bush, but Bush definitely ramped it up. And that honestly, the Iraq War was almost designed to have tons of trickle-down. And, you know, this movie came out, you know, the first, first year of Bush's second term. And arguably the year when people finally started going like, hey, Bush maybe doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> um, and it's just, it's odd to see it so on display here. And honestly, military stuff has, it's been an aspect of other superhero films. It's an aspect of Man of Steel in particular. Um, he's, you know, he's very much, it, there's no trick, there's less trickle down militarism, but the military plays a very big role in that movie. Um, you almost wonder to what extent is intentional and what isn't. Um, it's a big part of the Iron Man films. Iron Man is very explicitly a, a weapon designed to fight weapons and uh, leads to a lot of the contradictions at the heart of the character Tony Stark, which I don't think have ever been resolved. But um, here it... It's easy to say that Nolan just threw it in there and he might have just done it. He might have just gone like, hey, military technology, boom, that's a thing. But it ends up, I think, saying a lot about the United States <laughs> in a way that is, very, I think, very critical. Um, I think it ramps up in the sequels 
But I think it says, I think it starts here, and it's honestly the beginning of an interesting element of these films. Yeah, like, that's the thing. I don't know how much of it is inherently critical in this film when we get to the later ones, regardless of their uh, their quality. They are very, they're very much um, noting how that, that could lead to, to serious issues in, like, the structure of society. Uh, this one, it's... Even, even the parts that are played... Nothing's played off, I want to make that clear. But like, Although, even in this film, even in this film, uh, Bruce Wayne's weapons get turned against him. Even in this one. Um, the fucking dehydrating device or whatever the yeah. fuck. <laughs> Oh, the thing that's used in uh, Batman sixty six. Yeah, that they that they straight up stole from Commodore Schmidt lab. <laughs> um, which honestly, I gotta point out. I pointed out. I gotta point this out. Nolan has to know he's referencing Batman sixty six because the establishing shot of the cargo ship that is robbed is the exact same shot of the Commodore Schmidt lab's boat in Batman sixty six. It's like it's exactly the same. It's framed the same way. Nolan has to know what he's doing there, which again makes you wonder how much of it is just meant to be a joke, or if he does have a deeper point. But I don't think it matters if he has a deeper not, point. Not in this I think one. Nolan. Yeah, I think Nolan and his brother really understand that superheroes are inherently an American concept, and he really leans into that Americanness and. At this time in American history, that means, you know, this modern warfare that we are now fighting with, uh -huh. you know? And you know what? I, I want to give this one more credit, too, in terms of, like, being critical of that stuff. Um, because even after the car chase, that starts off kind of cool. That definitely goes on way too long. Um, uh, mm -hmm. When he returns, even after saving Rachel, you know, he, he is getting a little too flashy for his own good. And Alfred calls him out on it and says, like, what the fuck? Yeah, but Alfred's calling him... Alan's, Alfred's calling him out more on just being flashy and not being like, don't drive a tank on civilian streets. <laughs> like, uh, I, I'm willing you know? to, to give the film that, actually. I, I, I could see that. I could see Nolan being critical of that aspect. Well, we, get, we, we can't forget that Alfred, Alfred is an imperialist. Uh, so. A remorseful um, one. Doesn't make it okay, <laughs> but he's clearly remorseful. No, no, you know what? Just... When I I'm gonna say that again, <laughs> I'm gonna say I was impressed, and just cut me off and change the subject okay. real quick. Um, we shouldn't forget Alfred is an imperialist. I guess one thing we needed to cover though, because we forgot it, and probably because the movie forget it is that Rachel Dawes is in this oh, film. You know, I don't think the movie ever forgets it. I don't think she's integral enough of a part of it until the finale. Rachel is is less of a prop in this than she is in the next one. We'll we'll talk we'll talk about that more in Dark Knight. Obviously, um, she is just an extension of like Bruce. She's she's Bruce Wayne's connection to the real world, which I think is a criticism of Bruce Wayne. She is a, but, she's his consciousness mm -hmm, in a way, but um, the fact conscience that, not yeah. consciousness. She's a conscience. No, no, I get you. But and even though I think the, the character is well defined asshole. in that capacity. She does not have her own agency outside of stuff relating to the plot or Bruce Wayne. And it's like, 
it, it was it wouldn't have been that hard to give her more, you know, man. Like it's so close, just for like the baseline acceptability. All the Batman films really struggle with the female part, you know. It, it, there's a huge chunk of the Batman mythos where he is just the loner man with his man pain. And I mean, it's, you know, there's stuff like Batgirl, there's the whole Bat family, there's Catwoman. Plenty of female villains that play up anxieties men have about women. But uh, the movies never really get into it very well. Existed, I don't think it'd be so easy to classify them as a, as a net positive or a net negative. I think, I think if they did exist and they the capabilities of them existing were like possible in society and like the world we inhabit, then that adds a whole other set of variables that we have to take into account for that we just can't because that's not real, you know. And so I think I think the the conversation becomes much more difficult to have. In that reality, I disagree. Um, only because, and only in some respects, which is that we do not live in a world where there are superheroes like Superman or Spider Man, where there are people who are accidentally superheroes. You know, like Superman just happened. It, it, it's because he's on Earth. He's a superhero. Spider Man gets bitten by a spider. It's an accident, and then they both decide to use their powers for quote unquote good, right? But. Batman is a human being who chooses to be a superhero. And I think that changes things. Because he's basically a billionaire acting outside the law. And there are a lot of billionaires who do that. In fact, you could almost say that comes with the territory of being a billionaire. <laughs> okay, in that regard, I think that simplifies I, it then. I bet you Elon Musk thinks he's a superhero. Oh, God. I bet you he, on some level he thinks he is. Now I'm just fucking pissed off. <laughs> I'm saying that's the problem with Batman is that it kind of falls apart when he's a billionaire. <laughs> like, there's nothing romantic about that. Like, you kind of needed that to, like, make, like, his wealth thing work. But it's an incredibly privileged position. You know? Yeah, yeah. I, I get what you're saying now. You don't... You tell me he couldn't find another way with his billions of dollars to fight the issues. No, yeah. Um the every superhero movie needs to start uh contributing ideas um to to help the status quo like grow out of the status quo because when superheroes are born in these kind of stories, it's usually at the behest of a, a societal structure that's not helping people, right? So in that case, something needs to change to help these people overcome issues. Well, it makes a lot of sense to the first wave of superheroes kind of came at the tail end of the Great Depression and the rise of global fascism. It makes sense that those two things are coincidental. Um, and then the Marvel Universe, of course, gets started in the 60s, which is until now, the most turbulent decade in American history. <laughs> um, and I think that's why something like the, the PS4 Spider-Man game really hits the mark. It, it misses the mark once or twice in regards to uh, 
how Spider-Man fits into the, the proceedings of the city of New York. But I think it really hits the nail on the head when it shows Peter Parker, like, contributing to the, the homeless shelter. Spider-Man helping a dude just look for his pigeons because of the, the connection that the pigeons have to the guy and his life and whatever. Well, again, I also, I, I think it's weird to assume that someone with superpowers would immediately start fighting crime. Like, let's say if there was a bulletproof guy, I think he would just go on America's Got Talent. <laughs> like, I don't think, I, I, I don't know. I think it's a weird assumption we make that, and that we want someone like that, you know? Mm-hmm. I think it says a lot about American philosophy, American mentality. And it's weird, and I, it's not, it's, it's just weird that this is the type of questions that these movies dredge up and they don't really answer them in any concrete way. I don't think it's the intent of these films to answer them, but I don't, that doesn't change the fact, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, again, it's a film where I think it works, it works as a movie, I enjoyed watching it, but its ideas I find really, at times complicated and at times very shallow. <laughs> I mean, we also have a problem in this where they very much position like, hey, if you topple the mob, you'll solve Gotham's problems. And that's like not how anything works at all. I, I in don't the real think world. that they, they do end up saying that. I think that's the goal. But I think, for the characters anyways, like the in-universe goal is for them to do that for sure. But the, the film itself, I don't think really endorses that because it does leave way for like all these other problems to arise. And I'm not saying it, that... it completely confronts the idea that crime is more complicated than just criminals on the streets. Cause it, it, it the, the films don't. And that, that is a genuine flaw of, of all these superhero stories. But I do think it's also aware that it's not as easy as punching a guy out and the city will go back to being a good place. Or I don't know. They very place. much, the movie re- repeatedly says if you take out Carmine Falcone, it would fix everything. <laughs> but but it clearly it doesn't keeps... also, you know? And not just because of sequels. But but that's because of the League of Assassins. Also true. <laughs> and by the time and by the time we get to the Dark Knight, which I will there's a lot of ideas going on in that. Which I will save. But Batman is winning by that film. He's very much put in a position that he is winning. I don't know. It's it's weird to me that there's never a discussion of the structural issues that are probably affecting Gotham. Like, it just kind of was like, every level's corrupt, but what does that mean? <laughs> and again, what is corruption? And what, you know, I, and they're too big of questions for a movie like this, which is why it's weird that it has this gritty aesthetic. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, you know, it's not the fucking wire. And it can't be. Actually, I think that's and, exactly what it's... Sh- well, not exactly, because the wire's a little maybe heavier than I'd like to have with my Batman stuff. But I think it needs to, t- to, to approach the material in at least a semi-similar capacity. At least have an understanding of, like, Gotham's infrastructure in some way that's worth exploring on film. If, if they're going to address that. It would need a way to show more where the light needs to go, you know? Yeah. Like, what needs to specifically be solved? Because it's just kind of like, ah, crime is bad. (laughs) And also, it says that, like, the Depression hit everyone hard years ago. And then, like, what depression? (laughs) It's, the timeline of this movie is a little weird. It is. And Um, and again, like, when I I was saying how this is the most fantastical version of Gotham in, like, in contemporary film, at least, you know? 
yeah. uh, in live action. And so when they start talking about like the depression and whatever's, uh, bless you. When they start talking about yeah, the depression have... and whatever's, uh, that's kind of um, that really does put it in like uh, a fantastical light, even though it's like a, a grounded version of of the DC universe. And I wish that these films had gone more into that, and instead of just like being Chicago. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm sure it's operating on some some level. I'm just not getting. Um, it's just it's the overall vibe of it. Again, it's it's. But I've seen plenty of movies where I'm I'm constantly conflicted about enjoying it as a film and also finding its ideas maybe problematic. Yeah. Um. I mean, I've I've mentioned I'm a big fan of John Milius, who's a pretty conservative mm-hmm. writer. Um. I like the fucking Hunt for Red October, which is like one of the most gung ho Cold War films ever. <laughs> so, um, Russians are stupid and they want to live in Montana. <laughs> that's, that's what movies say. Didn't that movie, they premiered that movie at the White House for H.W. Bush? Really? Yeah. How'd that go? There you go. Um, I guess it was just really awkward, but, uh, <laughs> I think Reagan. I think Reagan watched more movies. Either Reagan or Clinton watched more movies than any other president, and he loved uh, Back to the Future. I love Back to the Future, and he hated some movie that everyone loves, but I can't remember what it was. Oh. I was saying if Bush wasn't such a reviled figure, like this would have been a movie he could have gotten behind. Fuck, John McCain like talked up on the campaign trail in two thousand eight that he loved Batman. Well, that makes sense, actually. It was like, like there was like a profile of the two candidates. It was like Barack Obama's favorite superhero is Spider Man, and John McCain's favorite superhero is Batman. And I'm like, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get more into the the conservative stuff with Batman in the future films, and specifically one specific line of dialogue in a later film. Oh yeah, uh, is very. Uh, very conservative. Batman Begins, again, directed by Christopher Nolan, written by David Goyer, who we will talk about next time as well, because there are things to bring up. Um, or we will forget to talk about him next time. <laughs> no, no, no. I got I got stuff that I didn't really bring up okay. this time. Um, yeah, uh, great film. I, I love it deeply, and I, I, I think it's still one of the better comic book movies and definitely one of the better Batman movies. I, I really... I keep trying to muscle in to let people know that I like I didn't love it, but I liked it. <laughs> like, I can't let you just say you love the movie. No, no. I gotta. <laughs> I gotta yeah. end on that high note. Yeah. Because you were in a bad mood today, so I, I had to balance it out. Yeah, yeah. That might, I might be bringing some of that energy here. Yeah. It's like everything's faceless and everything is worthless in the face of the apocalypse. <laughs> yeah, but just come on. Life you, is, you know. What are you going to do? Death is the only certainty. Oh my god, okay. Yeah. Matt, I hope you enjoyed revisiting Batman Begins. Where can the people find you? I'm at EmperorOTN at Twitter.com and I just launched a Patreon. Yay! Woo! Woo! Go check that out. I I offer nothing except me being on this podcast, which I was going to do anyway. Okay. So, but if you wanted to support my 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 life, <laughs> which is a very difficult one, by the way, woo! 
and things are not working out. Yay. And you could find um, me at twitter.com. Give, give me money. Don't give it to this fuck. <laughs> no, support the Waffle Press. These are good. This is a good show. Thank you. Uh, you can um, also follow and support at Patreon at the Waffle Press. Uh, check out all the the little things there. Or we, well, I'll do I'll do things. I'll do shows. I'll do movie shows. You recommend them. You can get listen to the bonus version of the Batman '89 episode. Oh yeah, where my audio failed. Um, I think which you might be listening to a bonus version of this episode now. <laughs> I think for for most of these, I'm gonna do um uncut episodes, assembly cut episodes. Anyways, so I'll just go. put like all the the sound together. Send it out that way, and you can check it out on the Patreon if you if you're a supporter there, and then get the clean, edited, structured episodes on YouTube and SoundCloud at the Waffle Press. Man, that actually makes me nervous because I really do say stuff on this show that you should definitely cut from time to time. <laughs> maybe, maybe some stuff will be cut. But I'm not I'm not gonna <laughs> fully unleash that into the world. <laughs> yeah. But thanks for listening. Um, thanks for watching. We have been professionally unprofessional. dresses up like a bat clearly has issues.